You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Robert Smith. We have a heck of a show today because today we're talking to one of our service members who's kind of the category that they cover we haven't really spoken with yet. So he's joining us today from Gladstone, Oregon, where he's a partner and creative director at Sapphire, who handles all of our websites and ticketing and marketing. They are experts in their field. Jeremy Emerson, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be on the show. You know, we've spoken with fair managers and entertainers and, and concessionaires, but you guys have got this little niche over here at Sapphire with the marketing and ticketing. We haven't really spoken to anybody in, in that area yet, so I'm glad I could get you guys. Before we get too far into this, for like the five people out there that don't know what Sapphire does, give us a little background on Sapphire and what your services are. Well, Sapphire is um, in our 12th year um, as, a, as an organization. We have three partners that kind of got together almost 20 years ago, if you can believe it, doing e-commerce and custom web development. And, you know, the, the fair and rodeo industry approached us about 15 years ago or so. And we started building some of those strategies for this audience. And we immediately understood there was an underserved uh, group of people here in the fair and festival and events industry who really needed um, this integrated, you know, marketing, ticketing, website packaging. And so we kind of jumped uh, full steam into this, into this uh, industry and have never looked back. It's been so much fun. The, the people and the partnerships that we've formed over the past decade have just been amazing. Um, so Sapphire currently has over 500 fairs, festivals, and events across the country. We do completely integrated ticketing, website, marketing services. Um, we've recently rolled out some contactless ticketing, obviously with the COVID restrictions in place. Um, last year saw an explosion in growth in our BlastPass cashless systems. So Sapphire is really geared to uh, take our fairs, festivals, and events into uh, the next, you know, frontier with uh, online business for sure. Well, and Sapphire is one of those places that I can tell you what at the trade show there was one year where uh, we were in Vegas and I get the the trade show map and I'm looking to see who's around me and I'm like I'm across from Sapphire. This is going to be awesome. There's going to be so many people there. This is going to be aw- absolutely the coolest thing. It was one of the worst trade shows I ever had because everybody loves you guys. And nobody turned around and looked at me. <laughs> it is, it is fun. Uh, we have a lot of fun in our booths, and yes, we get that comment a lot. And it's uh, you know, in in part of our marketing uh, early on when we decided to have the wheel of crap. You know, everybody's giving away all this trade show stuff, and uh, we decided what's the loudest possible wheel that people could spin that's going to make the most amount of racket and get a whole bunch of people hooting and hollering. Uh, cover everything in sapphire blue and just go hog wild with it. And yeah, it's been, uh, you know, now if we show up and we don't have our wheel, or if we don't have uh, some of those things, people are pretty freaked out. Like, where am I? Well, I want to spin the wheel of crap. Where's it at? So Right. Well, and we all get used to you guys having the big, you know, double Y, the two booze and, and it's all sapphire, but you know, your, your business plan changes over the years. You have to adjust to a changing market. And so, and so I've been to some conventions where, you don't have a big double. You've got a, a single booth and it's, it's scaled down. <clears throat> but people got to understand that as the market changes, you guys have to change with it. You can't just keep doing the same thing every year. But I will say that wheel of crap, if the wheel of crap is not there, people get mad because they want to spin it because they literally, even though if, if, if somebody walked up and was like, hey, Jeremy, can I have the sapphire pen? You'd be like, yeah, of course. They want to spin the, the wheel and get the pen that way. <laughs> You have to spin the wheel. And early yeah. on, we, we just, we were like, you know, it's got to be even funner. So we, what we've got to do is we've got to have slots on there for the high five or, um, you know, and we always let people spin again, but it's just the running joke that, uh, hey man, if you land on high five and I just look you straight in the eye and tell you, I am so sorry, we just ran out of high fives. So you're going to have to spin again. <laughs> you're going to have to try it one more time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you guys, you guys take, 
you take marketing and web design and ticketing and you make it fun. Everything about Sapphire is fun. You know, you talk about Sapphire Blue. I have worn Sapphire Blue as a fan of the company. I've worn your t-shirts before. And I have also consumed uh, liquid Sapphire Blue at your very – yes, we have one of those cups too. He's got his Sapphire uh, cup on screen right now he's slowly taking a drink i am assuming that is not the sapphire blue drink that is in it oh no not today no not today anybody who's been to sapphire's party knows what i'm talking about between sapphire blue and your queso uh (laughs) you guys have the most you guys have the most lit parties at conventions ever nobody's got a, a, a sweet party the way sapphire does um let's talk for a minute on the marketing side of things when I first met you guys, you had this, you had the huge, you know, laptop monitor in the booth and you were all about the desktop environment. You had these really cool websites where, you know, you could have a coconut fall from the tree if they were, a, you know, a fair in, in Florida or something like that and oranges on the trees in California fair, all these types of things and animations and whatnot. Over the years, you started to transition away from that because the market transitioned from a desktop environment to a mobile first environment. How have you guys been able to make that adjustment to promoting a mobile-first environment? Well, it's not been easy. Um, obviously, there are technological, or you know, from our side of the thing, the the platform itself is something that we have to put a lot of work into. But I would say that from the marketing perspective, it's interesting to to approach, especially this industry, and bring our decades of experience prior to this industry in very professional branding environments. And that's why Sapphire Blue is so prevalent. I mean, we, we came in and we realized, you know, fairs are changing their logo every single year. Uh, it's hard to know where you are and what they look like. And could you buy something that, that stands the test of time, like a t-shirt or a hat at a fair and it never changes? Is there anything, you know, brandable? And so we walked in and we said, this, with this website platform, we're going to you know, 12 years ago, start out with a, um, a web package that fair managers could easily understand that, hey, this takes away, because you can manage this yourself, you're not relying on the guy down the street to manage your website, you can do it all yourself. And we're going to make it as easy as, you know, we, we, we like to say, if you can shop on Amazon, you can manage your own Sapphire website. If you can just click and drag, move things around, you're a webmaster. Um, and like you said, that started out as a very very prevalent in the desktop what does this look like on a computer environment and we've kind of had to drag people kicking and screaming along the way into uh you know let's not let's not start this project maybe by looking at what this looks like on a giant 27 inch monitor because you're sitting from the comfort of your office right what's this what's this experience like for for a mom and a dad who've got three kids in the back of the car and they're on their way to your event right now and they're trying to figure out how to buy tickets, where to park, those kinds of things. Um, you know, user experience and bringing all of our experience in um, global e-commerce website development to the fair industry to say, these are best practices. We need, you know, business is important for you guys. So yeah, we wanna, we wanna make sure that you're branded, that you look better than you ever thought you could when you're putting your best foot forward online. But how do we, how do we make sure that you're paying attention to the statistics? You know, how much of your traffic is is people sitting at home and researching well ahead of time versus how much of it is from a mobile device on the road on the way to your event, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's been over the past uh, 12 years we have definitely seen some major shifts from um, large monitors to tablets to. Uh, phones and using all of the most recent technology as it comes out to make sure that we're, you know, up to speed and uh, partnering with the events is really a lot of times the challenge, just making sure that everybody understands why we're making the changes. And sometimes it feels early to them, right. uh, but in the tech industry, you know, we're, we're on the trailing end sometimes. We're, we're a late adopter to thinking mobile first in, in some of these event focused ways, but um you know, that's the, the partnerships that we've formed along the way. Uh, we've got a lot of really rabid fans and unbelievably fantastic clients and family who have been with us for all those 10, 11, 12 years who, when we've got a new zonky idea or this is the next thing, 
Um, you do have ready. some zonky ideas. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're ready to jump right with us. So they're, they're yeah. having having those kinds of partnerships is invaluable. Well, and you've got a real a real quality product. Um, your back end is in and how everything operates. It's very um, it's simple for them to use. It's really just comes down to the client being able to put the content out there. I, I really like that you guys were able to transition. So as tra- challenging as it's been, <clears throat> transition to that mobile first environment. You know, even even now. I have entertainers that'll reach out to me and be like, what do you think I should do for a website? And I'm like, build it for a, build it for a phone. You build it in a mobile first environment. Oh, but what if it doesn't look great on a desktop? doesn't matter. It's that's, you know, when I look at the traffic on my, on Squarespace, cause that's who we build through. I can stay off my analytics. 89% of people that hit my site are coming in through mobile. Yep. Isn't it crazy? I'm going to build for that environment. Now, not only do you guys handle handle the the website and and hosting and design of that uh, of that part of the marketing plan, you've shifted into also and expanded to mobile ticketing as well. Talk about that. Yeah, the the ticketing thing came about I don't know how many years ago, maybe eight years ago, with some clients in the Midwest saying, you know, just kind of being really frustrated with their current products and calling us and saying you guys are so good and innovative and I am so sick and tired of paying these big giant big box ticketing companies um, all this money to do a very simple thing. I need to know how many people are in my gate. You know, I need to sell them a ticket. I need to know how many people are coming in and then ideally I could maybe scan them out. That's all I need to do. Could I do that in any kind of easy way? Um, and just sell my general admission ticketing. And of course we said, mm, absolutely not. We're not, we're not uh, cut out for that kind of thing. Um, and we're, we're consistently, you know, our joke among our partners is always that we're, we're putting out these lines that we will not cross. And then the next year's business plan is, is fully over that line and, and running full steam ahead, way down the road past that line we said we'd never cross. And so um, what started out as a, a very simple iPhone-based QR code based uh, in and out general admission system has fully evolved into a robust uh, mobile contactless uh, super portable ticketing system that utilizes, you know, uh, all the mobile technologies, of course, everything works on desktop all the way through phones, uh, but we do utilize um, mobile technology for our ticketing specifically. So our volunteers and our staff and the fair volunteers and their staff are all using mobile phones to uh, do everything from just walking along the ticket line box officing with a phone uh, all the way to scanning people in and out, uh, reporting on, you know, with COVID, we've had to adjust a little bit to to give people the ability to um, see how many people are in at any one given time uh, to the to the second, right? So sure. capacity tracking, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's been super fun because it's it's uh, we've got a lot of really cool and talented engineers on our team who love playing right. and tweaking. And um, some of these kinds of new technologies, when they come up, it's it gets you out of the doldrum of you know launching another website and just installing another ticketing shopping cart. And then all of a sudden, whoa! What if we had to invent from scratch? You know. I can buy a credit card swiper over here, uh, a super tiny portable PC over here, and a touchscreen tablet over here. Put them together and package um, a little contactless ticketing kiosk that someone can buy a ticket, whether it's a reserved seat, uh, all the way through just general admission by themselves on a, you know, adapted uh, fairgrounds box office window. So it's been super fun. Uh, and crazy. I mean, we're holding on for dear life as we do this and right. <laughs> watching it happen. So it's, it's been very exciting. So when you guys have your, your ticketing system, uh, it, it's more for the fair side of things. It's more than just getting a ticket sold. There's some really valuable data that they can generate on the back end of that. Um, how can fairs utilize that data to either retarget or or sell it in the future and, and and make that a valuable thing for them. Totally. The you know, I think this goes even back to the foundation of Sapphire in the events industry and helping people understand the power of all forms of marketing. 
and building your email list, starting there, just from just from bare bones and scratch. Uh, how many email you know lists do you have that we could market to? And when the answer was zero over and over again, and just we don't collect email addresses, we were just like, what is going on here? We need to help people understand the power of collecting fan data, right? So yep. um, branded experience is, is first and foremost from the website all the way through the ticket purchasing process and making sure that people can do that in one seamless way. You're not hitting, you know, bigfair.com and searching for that ticket, finding it, clicking a button, ending up at some other ticketing website to buy the ticket then getting it uh, printed out and bringing it and getting it scanned by a third company, right? We're, sure. we're making sure that you are, you are living that brand experience all the way through and email addresses and repeat purchases and all the reporting that's built into the back end of Sapphire is there specifically to give our, you know, friends in the event industry the ability to use that data to continually sell new events, uh, to grow their event, to uh, make sure that every time somebody sets foot into your grounds or interacts with you, you can remarket to them uh, when you have new things to offer and, and building that base. It's valuable to us. It's got to be valuable to our clients too. Absolutely. And for all that we want to create successful events, for all that we want people to come check out, you know, RCS's giant Ferris wheel, their, their LeGrand XL wheel, for all the corn dogs we want to sell, all the rodeo tickets we want to sell the concert tickets we want to sell to me it, no matter how cool i've said a long time no matter how cool your fair is if you don't have someone's attention you can't tell them about it and the data that you can generate from a system like sapphire i think gives you some level of their attention because you know they they're already predisposed to come to your event it makes it real easy to send out to all the people who bought season passes last year makes it a real great email list to be able to say, we're going to send this email out at Thanksgiving that says Black Friday sale, buy one, get one, or whatever the deal is, they're already predisposed to buying your stuff. That's really valuable information that you can get from Sapphire's backend. Well, and the, probably the more important part to us is just the, the difference between where we came from and where we are in this industry is the non-competitive nature of fairs, right? The, the desire of every fair manager to find something that works and then share it with every neighboring fair, with every, you know, at, at IAFE and all the conferences we attend, people want to share success and great ideas. They don't want to hoard them and hide them and protect them. So what's super awesome is learning along with our clients because we you know we'll approach a, a a problem with strategy and technology and then the fair manager will invariably come back and go what would be really cool for me is to do this weird little thing over here and we'll say hey let's give it a shot when that works it blows up because every other fair manager is thinking the same way and so Right. That community that comes out of that and the, the ideas that get shared, you know, you mentioned earlier the parties and the sweet parties that we have at all of the um, conventions, those, those started as, yes, us kind of having a hub, but in the, in the kind of same kind of way, people that come there end up working the, working the drink serving station for us. They volunteer to work at our parties because they, they've already formed kind of like a family internal to Sapphire as well to share all those ideas and figure out you know, we used all of our data to, to do this, or we've decided to start marketing um, earlier in the year and putting together Christmas packaging or, you know, all these different uh, pre-sales plans. And so you, being the connector is just super fun in that way. Well, you guys do make it fun. You're, I, I can think of no sweet party that I've ever been to at any type of convention that matches yours. And it was all built around a blue drink and, and Sapphire queso, <laughs> i.e. Velveeta and Rotel. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think the, the queso recipe might still be our number one visited page on sapphire.com. There is a and, blog post that still hangs out out there that every once in a while we look and just giggle about that. that holy cow. How many people still go to it? <laughs> people are always looking at the queso page. Hey, Super <laughs> coming up. We got to get a big bucket of queso going. 
and it's super basic. Like it's Velveeta and some Hertel and some so- like this isn't rocket science, but it is. I go in there whenever I go to your your uh, sweet parties. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have like one little bowl of it, like maybe ten chips worth. That's it. And then before I know it, I'm like trying to find Cassie and see if you guys are making more. If there's another crock pot full of it someplace. <laughs> You guys do bad things to us that, you know, we go, I go to these conventions sometimes just to eat at your sweet parties. It's so funny. I mean, we, we joke all the time about uh, little tweaks to that when we were having our 10 year anniversary um, a couple years back and we were thinking of all these, you know, the birthday party tour. So we'll, we'll crank up every, every booth and every party and every client gathering up a notch and what are the special things we can do. And I had, I had been pitching very hard to our marketing team to uh, come up with portable queso, like pocket queso. Is there a way we could uh, put together just mini pouches of queso that as you <laughs> as you walk around the conference, it heats up in your pocket and you can just pour it out on a chip in the corner? <laughs> yes. Yes. Why is that not a thing? Right? I, I'm going to take a note right now because I think that, uh, you know, there's still legs behind this idea. And, well, and you know what you got to do? You got to combine it with the um, the technology that they put in MREs, those the military meals, where there's the little heater, and you just put like a tablespoon of water in, and it heats it, heats everything in the pack. Boom! That's how you heat your queso. You pull out your little thing of of chips, and you're set. You've got you've literally got a sapphire sweet party in your pocket. <laughs> Jeremy, make it happen. Make it happen. It sounds both awesome and nasty all at the same time. It kind of does. <laughs> it kind of does. You know, it, I miss, I got to tell you what, that's one of the things I did miss about all the conventions falling down in 2020 and not getting to come hang out with you guys at your sweet parties. Let's take a peek back at 2020 for a minute. It, you know, we're now a year into 15 days to flatten the curve. We're looking back at March of 2020 and Houston cancels and the wheels come off the bus. What are you guys thinking on your end? Because while websites, you know, your website service is still up, your hosting is still up, obviously all that's still going on. A lot of that revenue and whatnot that you generate off of off of ticketing, all those events are now canceled. What so what are you guys thinking as all this starts to pan out? Yeah. If I would have heard the word pivot one more time in March or April of 2020, I was gonna Thank barf. Um, same. So tired of it, but I mean the the writing was on the wall. I mean, when we started hearing news in January and February, and then, uh, you know, here in Oregon, local politicians were kind of hinting early on that we might be shutting everything down. And then, yes, like you mentioned, we saw the news at Houston. <clears throat> I think our immediate, our immediate reaction was just the family, the, the network and the group of people and the fans that we've built up and thinking immediately that this isn't you know when we entered into this industry we weren't we weren't just solely focused on sapphire as a revenue generating thing it was all about partnerships and making our partners feel smart and we were trying to figure out okay uh we don't know how long it's going to last so what do we do out of the gates to make sure that everybody feels like they made a really smart choice by partnering with Sapphire? And so we, you know, we kind of went back to the very basics of web marketing and communications and making sure that all of our clients knew that the power they had at hand with a Sapphire website uh, combined with their social outreach was the best communication tool they had to make sure that their fans and their um, vendors and anybody who interfaces with their event knew what was going on minute by minute. Uh, and they could control that messaging and they could, you know, publish anything they needed to at any given moment. Um, so the first couple months were really seriously focused on, okay, let's everybody, let's regroup. Here are some strategies for communicating about the status of your event, regardless of when you are. Everybody's got the question, you know, if you're a a May or a June event, uh, you need to be communicating and here's what we're seeing other events do. So, you know, our marketing was still going out to all those people about all these ideas that we were seeing and sharing. And so industry newsletters like with WFA and IAFE, we were keeping a close eye on, on those and what our clients across the country were doing and helping people just make sure they were communicating well. And then I would say kind of as we started approaching summer, you know, 
in March, I think everybody kind of felt like, whoa, this, this could last a month or two, right? Um, when it became apparent that Fourth <clears throat> uh, of July might not be the grand reopening of America, like the way I would say Sapphire's partners originally were kind of hopeful and, and thinking that it might be. Um, then we started pivoting even further about the, the, the whole, so you've got all the communication that's going on out there. Now, how do you stay afloat? Um, what, are, what is Sapphire going to do to help our partners not close their doors forever? You know, what is, what's the thing we can do with what they're already using from us? And so going in and really thinking about um, the kinds of, you know, limitations that might be in place for who knows how long, uh, you know, uh, eliminating touching and, and trying to take away the human factor of admissions and all those kinds of things. And so that's when, you know, we really started putting a strong focus on the technology again, internally, to make sure we were developing tools and strategies for our clients to use if and when things started reopening with limitations, you know, if you have to know your capacities, if you need to not touch anything, if you need um, to have no cash exchange hands, all those kinds of um, considerations came into play. And so we started developing actual usable technology for the day events could come back into, uh, into running. Yeah. And what do you, um, from, you know, your clients that you're talking with, right now at this point in the year what are you guys seeing as far as events down the line are, are i mean we know we've started housing movement in florida it looks like texas is you know the governor just said mass mandates done he's kind of leaving it up to people to make their own decisions what are you seeing from your clients and hearing from them as far as whether events are going to be happening later in the year kind of depends on what part of the country you're in um I think that we, we've been hearing a lot of positive, I'm gonna say positive from a, you know, we're going to be going. Um, West Coast is a little slower to jump on that train. I, we haven't seen much uh, in the way of, yes, we're, we're 100% ready to go, especially California, Oregon, the Washington uh, State Fairs Association, of which we're also a member, I attend those meetings. It sounds a little more positive in Washington than it does in Oregon or California. Uh, but like I said, Florida, we've already run several events this year. Um, the South Florida mini fair um, was a, a great success for us to, especially in getting these contactless box office kiosks uh, assembled out there, tested, um, run, uh, and making sure that all the technology was working the way we expected to. Um, but I think I think the you know people are very um, excited for the possibilities of 2021. I think that as the, the numbers kind of keep coming back in terms of how many um, vaccines are going to be out there and what states will do later. Most people are planning to be ready to go. Um, last year, everybody was hesitant to say anything because we just didn't know. This right. year, I think I'm, I'm watching a lot more people market as if absolutely we're ready to go beyond summer uh, the rest of this year and we'll pull back if necessary. But instead of, instead of being you know, the opposite, which was last year saying, we're not sure if we're going to go, but we're hoping this year it's yes, we're a go. And kind of behind the scenes, we'll just make sure we're ready to kind of pull back on some of the components of that event if needed. Yeah, if necessary. That seems to be kind of an underlying theme in the folks that I've talked to from around the industry. You know, last year, there were a couple of fairs that were asked by, you know, in mid spring, you know, they might've been August, September, October fairs. And, Oh, you know, are you going to have your fair? And they're like, yeah, of course we're going to have our fair. Cause it was in that window where we all thought, you know, by mid June, July, this thing's done and we'll be back to work. And they were all getting creamed on their Facebook pages. They were just getting slaughtered by people that were like, how could you do this? This is inappropriate. You know, if, if anything, it, it's just proof that our fair guests are paying close attention to what we're doing. They know um, and so I think a lot of people pulled back, um, but now we're starting to see the opposite, that they're starting to get some, some pressure from their communities to be like, open and do it safely, but let's go. It's time to go. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, that was something that was really painful to kind of watch and help people through last year too, was just that, how are you going to, if you're going to announce, what are you going to announce and when are you going to announce it? And now let's not get into um, 
any kind of shouting match on Facebook or Twitter about what you're planning on doing. You just have to be comfortable with the statement you made and move forward and yeah. and your best because you're just not going to win those arguments. You know, and, and you got to be just patient and empathetic with your community, but yep. it definitely seems like um, the na- there's always going to be naysayers. <clears throat> Three years from now, there's going to be people that are like, how can you still not be wearing a mask? And, it, you know, you have to just take them with uh, for what they are and but you got to listen to the your your community and i feel like we can have safe events we've seen it we've seen it down in texas north texas and west texas did had successful events last year wyoming you know we had courtney conkle on the show the show they ended up setting records we just talked to danny alfonso from manatee county um, down just outside of tampa they had their spread rate from the day their fair opened to two weeks after went down every single day not saying that's a cause and effects correlation is not causation there. Um, but it's just, I think it's proof that we can absolutely do safe events. Our industry is primed for safe events. We've, you know, we've dealt with, with outbreaks of E. Coli and, and, you know, all sorts of different health outbreaks that we've, we deal with animal agriculture. It happens. Yep. We know how to do it safely. We just have to scale that. And I'm really hopeful that, you know, come late June or July this year, that things do start going in our favor and we start getting more events because I know so many of these fairs, I don't know how much longer they can last. Um, You know, they've had to furlough staff, you know, a lot of their, them uh, have had to let go of so many. I think I was talking with uh, Walter Marquez from Los Angeles County on the show. And I forget what the total number, I think he said they had like a hundred and 120 something full-time employees down there at the fairgrounds in Pomona. And they're down to like 30 now. How do you run a fairgrounds that big on 30 people? Well, that's additionally, you know, a lot of the fairgrounds, especially on the West coast have been converted to wildfire, you know, last, last uh, summer and yep. fair. fire camp. Yep. Our clients were, were being PPE centers, uh, distribution centers, uh, wildfire rescue centers. Um, you know, then winter started happening and their warming centers. And then recently we had a, you know, Texas had their huge ice storm. Oregon had a really bad one um, two weeks ago. That uh, same kind of thing. We had a bunch of people without power for a week, you know, and it's like, yeah. so, and it's like consistently the fairgrounds are stepping up and, and helping their communities. And now we're just hoping that the funding at the state levels can kind of match that, that spirit, right? Let's, yeah. And inspiration. Yeah, and, and that's, I know that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of fairs because so many of us, I think we're just an industry that by our nature, we're very independent. Um, you know, give us the opportunity, give us the permit to do our event and then get out of our way. And we're going to go do a great event for our community. We know what's best in our community. We know our people. And I think having to turn around and look at, at state, at government entities and, and, you know, local jurisdictions with the handout saying, uh, if you want this event to happen, we're going to need some money. I think that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of us because we're very proud and, and independent bunch. And we don't, we don't want that, that government money. We want to just go do it on our own. So I'm thinking West coast fairs, they're probably going to need some help. They're going to need some help. Where it's, that's the thing is um, just constant communication from us and our partners. We're just trying to make sure everybody knows we're here. We're, we, you know, we want to help everybody. We've got, we've got the technology, we've got the, the marketing and the, you know, once we're ready to go, we just need to be um, willing and able to jump and, and help everybody. Cause like you said, the, the amount of staff that's been furloughed across the country is, is pretty crazy. And so that's been another side of our business last year is retraining uh, people who, you know, a lot of, a lot of our clients have a whole marketing department or at least one person in a marketing department whose job specifically was to manage their Sapphire website or manage right. the box office with Sapphire ticks and um, having to step in and retrain when that person was let go and right. maybe a fairgrounds manager or someone who's never even had to look at the thing is now responsible for doing it. And uh, thank God our system is easy to use because we've had to train a whole lot of brand new faces on uh, how to use the platform. Well, and in talking about furloughs, you know, for you guys, you got a lot of, you know, salespeople and tech people and whatnot on your squad. Have you guys had to face any furloughs during, during the last year? Oh, for sure. We had to make a lot of tough choices to get through the year. And I think most, 
responsible organizations uh, early on were trying to make sure we understood with any of the programs that were coming out with the PPP, um, with the uh, you know the disaster relief loans and those kinds of things, um, coupled with what what can Sapphire do this year to generate revenue and and how many people are going to be affected and making sure that because um, our team is our family too and we're we're a very close knit group. We've got um, our in, we have two engineers that have been with us for over ten years and one of our my, my technical director Chris Luger has been with us for. I want to say over 15 years. Um, so you've got you've got people that are super dedicated. Like you said, the sales staff. What what can be sold when no live event can happen? So yeah, a lot of tough choices and kind of in the same way, rolling furloughs and just business planning and being being a responsible leader of a business who you hope your partners look up to and taking those. Um, things very seriously, making huge sacrifices as owners uh, of Sapphire uh, to make sure that we would live to see the day that live events would come back because we truly believe it. We know it. It's just a matter of time. And so how do you get to that spot? That's a that's the million dollar question. Um, I got to that spot in the last year with a lot of queso. Uh, it wasn't Sapphire queso necessarily, but I did it with a lot of queso. I've said repeatedly on the show, I did not catch COVID-19, but I did gain the COVID-19. Nice. It was, uh, you know, you work your way through the year. I think you, you, um, do you read, are you a reader? Mm -hmm. A big time. Yeah. So I, I just, um, I'm working on a couple of Jocko Willings books. I figured finished, um, discipline equals freedom is one of his books and and he's got another one that I'm just I'll finish probably by the end of this week um extreme ownership and one of the themes in those books from when he was a seal squad leader was um he would have guys who would come up to him and say you know hey boss we got this problem um you know and he would say good more time for training you know we didn't we didn't do we didn't get this assignment or something good more time for training and it's interesting when I've applied that to the last year, it's really a great mindset to have, oh, you know, we haven't been able to have, I haven't been able out traveling and doing fairs. You know, good, more time to develop my attractions and build a podcast. You know, we haven't been able to do this. Good, more time for that, more opportunity for this, more. You have to, I feel like you got to switch it up. And instead of being, we spent a lot of last year feeling, I think in our industry, feeling sorry for ourselves. And I think we need to attack that problem differently. I think we need to attack it as, as opportunity to develop. Um, for some of these fairs, one of the silver linings I've seen is, oh, we weren't able to have our normal fair. We had to you know, have a mini fair. We had to have a drive-through. We had to change things. Good. Maybe you created something that you didn't realize would work. You know? yeah. And we spoke to a lot of fairs that said that. You know, we, didn't, you know, we, we, we opened our fair, but we had to change how people walk through our building. And we actually got more people through and vendors that were there had more sales because of it, or we changed the traffic flow in the fairgrounds and it created a different space for, you know, people to eat or for, you know, and I say, good, you created a new opportunity for something at your fair. I, love I think that. the, I think the positive outlooks really that, and you know, I've never been a reader. I think before Thanksgiving, I'd read three books in 10 years. And now when I finish Jocko's, that's going to be number, that's going to be the 10th, I think ninth or 10th book I've read since Thanksgiving. I don't oh, ask yeah. me what happened between that. And I'm, do, I'm doing the podcast and we're going to take the podcast at some point this year. And, and we're working on adapting a number of the episodes into a book. Something like, I don't know what 2020 happened, but it was awful, but it was also really good at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah. I, what, well, what good came out of 2020 for you? There has to be good for you out there. I would say everything you just said kind of just super rings true for me too, because we early on, it just felt like another slap, another slap. And they just, things just kept coming that were just, if you let yourself get frustrated with each and every, you know, bit of news or tweak to the bad news, it just was overwhelming. And so uh, similarly, it was just change your mindset, uh, start thinking about, instead of we have to do this thing try and kind of approach it in terms of that we get to do this thing so this is you know the opportunity that you mentioned so i think similarly you know almost everything about sapphire um 
gets reimagined and rethought. All of our processes, right? Because as as people are coming and going, and we're and we're trying to balance uh, workloads with supporting all of our awesome uh, fairs with the people that we have at any one given time is still a commitment we had. Yet maybe the revenue isn't there with the ticketing. And so how do we how do we do those things? And how do we streamline? And how do we make it easier? And so I think it was just a real big opportunity for us to kind of revisit all of our processes, make sure we're super lean where we can be and focus our energies in places that have the biggest impact. So, you know, if that's technology, if it's a, if it's a new process we can invent for our clients to help themselves, you know, those are, those are the areas where we may not have prioritized that um, pre COVID, but I think that's, you know, that's kind of the same thing you were saying, you know, if, if you've got a new traffic flow in a building that's been there for 50 years, you've done it the same way every time. Why? You know, this is the time to ask that question. Why? Uh, what could we be doing better? And well, so, and the answer is the answer. COVID has forced the whole, well, we've always done it that way is no longer a valid answer under COVID. I think that's, that may be the single biggest thing that could happen to this industry because it is forcing a lot of shakeups. It is forcing innovation. It's forcing fairs to look at things differently. And you have like things, we all, there's people that have, we have, how do I put this? We have varying level, depending on who you are, of comfort with change. Some people are like, change everything all the time. I need it new. I need chaos all the time. Other people are like, no, no, no. I have to have it the same. And then there's everybody in between. But the bottom line is, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, change is happening, whether you like it or not. And I think we've got some really good opportunities that that COVID has brought up um, and allowed, you know, I think it's going to allow some adaptation for fairs and maybe they pick up some things along the way, even for entertainers. I mean, I'm forcing, being forced to innovate. I haven't been in that fortune machine since last Oh, September a year. So it's been, yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) It's been like 18 months since I've been in that fortune machine. And we've got fairs that are saying, how can you make conjure COVID safe? Well, I hate to put glass in it because it's going to be hot and it kind of separates me and kind of changes up the character. But listen, maybe there's something that comes out of this, that the character gets better than I ever could have imagined it. We'll see. Well, and, and the thought to that keeps recurring to me too is, um, you know, especially you as a performer, what, one of the things that everybody says got better during COVID or, you know, most everybody says got better during COVID is just this kind of thought like, wow, you know, I got closer and had more time with my family. Or if I'm going to, if I'm going to be thankful for anything during shutdown, it's that, um, you know, I helped my kid learn to read or just some, some of those big life moment things that you would have been too busy to really understand. I'm curious how that's going to go into, you know, when things are back and we're going to fully attended events, you know, what is, what is that conjure experience look like with a tighter knit family? Like what is, what is the family who's just been so eager with all this time together and, and um, what are they, how are they going to interact with you now versus how they would have interacted with you before? Yep. Well, I can tell you every fortune card, we haven't printed them yet because I'm going to wait till I know we've got an event coming up, but Every fortune card is that all the fortunes that were on them before are now gone. Everything is going to have a different context and a different meaning now in relation to what we've been through. And I think people that there are going to be people that read those things. And I see it all the time in Conjure. You know, someone comes up, they press the button. Um, I, I say something goofy to them, and then I hand them a fortune card. And the fortune card has always got something meaningful printed on it. And my sense is we're now in a place now that just like before when they would the out of the corner of my eye, they'd leave and they, but they'd be reading the card as they walk, walk away and they'd stop like dead in their tracks. And you could tell something hit them, something resonated with them on whatever it said. I think I'm going to see that a lot more because I think people are so desperate to be reconnected and, and we're social creatures. You know, I've said throughout this pandemic, I have new respect for people that are introverts because <laughs> me being an extrovert now being for locked in a box, literally and figuratively with the fortune machine, but being forced to stay home, it physically, there were times last year where it was physically painful. My heart and my body physically hurt. And now I'm like, I wonder if introverts feel this way in social situations, if the script flips and that's, so now I have new, I have all new respect for people that are introverts, man. If you're one of those people that I'm like, Hey, let's go do this. And you're like, yeah, I think I'd rather just stay home. Respect, totally respect. If that's where you're at. 
Well, that's, you know, the we've we've attempted a couple Zoom uh, sweet parties and things with uh, some of the large virtual conferences that we've attended. And I think that invariably you get to that point uh, when everybody starts opening up and sharing uh, how meaningful just the conference experience is to this industry and how, yep. you know, it's one thing to have your own event, but it's another thing to go and be with your peers and the emotion and outpouring that we've even had at some of our own little virtual gatherings has been so you know eye-opening to me about how important that social aspect is to this industry i don't think there are too many introverts in in the fair and festival industry but man uh if i have to help the design of one more amphitheater website or anything that shows live stage entertainment with hands in the air and lights and people having fun i'm just i'm going crazy because it's just every single one of these projects is another reminder of what it was like and how bad i'm missing live music and how bad we're missing you know going out and even supporting a live event it's so fun to show up and scan tickets with a client and and mm -hmm. then just go grab a beer and, and watch a little bit of the show and clean up afterwards. It's, it's just, oh my God, we miss it so much. Yep. I will, I will uh, never complain about it being hot in that fortune box again. I know, right? <laughs> right. I'm going to get in and be like, whoo, you know, like, oh yeah, I had the guys on from LA County and I know how hot it gets out there in Pomona, you know, 110, 115 degrees. I'll just be like, yep. Yeah but I get to do my act and <laughs> there's people out here. I'd be so excited. You, know, you mentioned how important that our meetings, our conventions are uh, real quick. Just a couple of days ago, IEFE announced 2022 location is Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, what'd you think of that when you, you got that one, when you got that announcement? I was surprised. I, I didn't even know, you know, that that was kind of in the works. It just, I'm not, I'm not usually on the front lines of all of the marketing and planning that goes into where we are showing up and how, what the booth is, is doing and who's attending. And, you know, through COVID I've, I've started taking a little bit more of an active role in the planning for the virtual events and what we're going to be doing. And now, you know, as we start looking at stuff like that, uh, scheduling of back and in person events, uh, I think, I think it's interesting. I think that uh, one thing that we would miss is we love when we can plan on something year over year and try and find efficiencies. You know, when it was in Vegas for so long, you could find efficiencies. You could have a, uh, we had a storage unit down there. So we'd keep all of our tech, all of our, our pretty much the entire booth just down the road from the Paris Casino, right? And then just show up and grab a U-Haul and, and bring it all over and set it up and save on all of the, the shipping and everything. Um, and you know, this is just—it's a new challenge to figure out how to how to find our way to a new place potentially every year. Yeah, that was that was I think one of my few um, concerns about it moving. I like that it moves because I feel like from our standpoint as as entertainers, the the vision bias you know that fair managers and entertainment buyers get because in being in Vegas every year the floor is pretty much the same. They walk up and down. They 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 go find the eight or ten people. They know where they are. And the traffic flow is just not quite as good. So I like the fact that they tossed the floor changed because that made people have to open their eyes and really pay attention. But then I thought about, you know, I knew the ins and outs of getting in and out of the trade show in Las Vegas. And I figured <laughs> it out with San Antonio. And I was like, oh God, every year I'm going to have to figure out a new convention center and, how to, and a new loading dock and new union guys. And how is this one going to work? But I think, um, I'm I'm hopeful for it because I think you might get an opportunity where smaller fairs that may not have usually gone to convention because they don't have the money to go that far to San Antonio or to Las Vegas. Now you might get some more in that region, you know, Ohio and Indiana and Michigan and Wisconsin and smaller fairs that don't go to convention. Maybe they will now, you know. Right. And that's so. our hope, you know, that, and we have that experience with the International Festivals and Events Association, the IF, or IFEA, um, they change. Yeah. most of the year and so we're familiar with that pattern and it and it, i think it's true you know if it's on the east coast you get a whole bunch of different festivals showing up to that one than than when it was in san diego versus you know so that's the hope right get get some more new people coming in and experiencing that yeah i think so i think it uh i i know that steve and and marla and that team out there in, in springfield at iafe they work so hard to produce these meetings and 
I think it's going to be tremendously successful. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to San Antonio this year, one more year down there and, and, God willing, we get to have it. I might, you know, my gut feeling at this point, and I think it's more realistic, is that by the summertime, things do start going back in our favor. Um, I think September, October, November fairs are probably in really good shape for this year. May not look the same, may not have, you know, they may be at, at 70, 75% attendance. They may not be able to have, they may have to spread things out. Maybe the carnival doesn't bring as many rides, so you can uh, still accommodate your concessionaires. I don't know what it's going to look like. It'll look a little different, but it's going to look like something. It's going to, I'll tell you this. It'll look a hell of a lot more like a fair than 2020 did. <laughs> Heck yeah, let's do it. And, and I'm looking forward to it. Listen, uh, Jeremy, we're just about out of time. Before I go, everyone who comes on my show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'd like to ask you six quick questions and you give me your best answer for each. Are you ready? Boom, let's do it. Boom, let's go. Question one, what's the best fair food? Oh man, it's gotta be funnel cake. iPhone or Android? Uh, iPhone all the way. Favorite travel destination? Uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Sounds good to me right now. Uh, what's worse, laundry or dishes? Dishes. Agreed. On an airplane, window seat or aisle seat? Window, my God, window. Okay, <laughs> and Let's say you could have a guest spot on any television show, past or present. What TV show would you want to have a guest role on? Uh, without question, that would be Twin Peaks, my favorite all-time television show. Isn't that Didn't they shoot in Washington? Yeah, yeah. It was Washington, not far from you. Huge fan of that story, the special agent Dale Cooper character and, and just the, the weirdness. I mean, it is a weird, weird show, and I it, love it. Yeah, I remember watching it when I was younger, and uh, there was definitely some, some awkward moments in the show. It seems like it'd be a show that's right up your alley. Uh, listen, if folks want to reach out and get in touch with you or learn more about Sapphire and all of your web marketing, ticketing type services, where can they learn more about Sapphire? Man, head straight to the website, sapphire.com, S-A-F-F-I-R-E.com. Um, everything you need's right there. Uh, and we're, you know, just like we are to all of our clients, um, it's unlimited support. So we're, we're here as an unlimited support service to this industry. Uh, we've got people that would just love to talk to anyone. Well, listen, I'm really glad you could be on the show today. Jeremy Emerson, partner and creative director for Sapphire. Uh, we definitely missed having sweet parties. Mr. Queso, Mr. Blue Drink, and we, we will look forward um, as conventions start opening to, to seeing you guys again and, and breaking bread with you all at convention. And I hope you guys have a really successful 2021 and things get going again. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. Can't wait. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.